we didn't know if today was going to happen. It didn't happen as planned. It's not happening as we would <laughs> like it to. We, we, you know what? We're supposed to be supposed to be getting possessed. Just getting today, our but... man, just our fucking cocks rocked by some ghosts. We're not putting our shit on dead men's luggage and all of the other great shit that we've done. Looking in keyholes, getting gurgled at, all the fun things. Putting snacks on dead men's luggage. I still, uh, I think about that and my skin crawls a little just bit. cringe a little bit. I feel, yeah. I, I'm I just do. like, oh, shit. <laughs> they shouldn't have had it, like, not roped off for people like us. Can you imagine if we, like, spilled coffee on it? I would have felt like the world's biggest dick, man. Oh, man. How you feeling? Pretty dang good. I thought you were going to say dank. <laughs> I feel I feel dank. <laughs> I've been gardening. Me too. Well, yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, man. Outside all weekend. Mm, Dude, I'm kind of coming down. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm coming down from like a day drink. Mini a michelada today. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. You'll drink a a michelada. Why is that a question? I can't. What? Because I can't. I can't do a michelada. I can't. I won't do it. I need need you to to stop. What do you mean? I, I won't do a michelada. Why, though? Fucking clam juice freaks me out. I'm not going to do it. Oh, yeah. Bathe me in it, man. I will slip down a slide of Clamato. Mm. Clamato, my dad, because my dad, my dad's like drink is a michelada. It's the fucking best. It's my absolute favorite drink. Is it really? Absolutely. I just don't think. A drink should also be a seafood buffet. I but just that, don't think it should. That's why I like it because but it's not straight the- booze. I feel like I'm getting something out of it. And it, the problem is, is that it dehydrates the fuck out of you. It's beer and salty clam juice and tomatoes, but delicious. Well, and part of it, we've been watching, we've been just like devouring Letterkenny. We've been watching so much fucking Letterkenny. And they do Caesars up in Canada, which is pretty much... A michelada, but it's like the Canadian version. It's a Caesar up there and they're always drinking Caesars. And so that was just like, really, I bought a pack. I bought like on the grocery pickup. I got to think a Lone Star. I fucking love Lone Star. It's like my favorite cheap beer. (laughs) Love Lone Star, dude. I'm such a fan of it. I'm learning things about you today. How did you not know that I've gotten Lone Star before with us? I didn't know that. I have never seen... I have never seen you pick up a beer and oh, drink just a beer. I will. I mean, I will, maybe like a like a Lindemann Frambois beer or I'll, something like that. I love. But I've it. never seen you like pick up a Miller because <laughs> I won't. I fucking won't. I'll pick or up a something. Lone Star though, because Lone Star is like a lightish beer, but it's weedy still, but like with a lightness mm-hmm. to it, and it's cheap as fuck, and it makes a slamming michelada. Like good, good God! I've had so many. I've had so many because we. Good God. Dude, I just got to tell you, my body hurts. I'm in tremendous pain because basically I took Friday off. I had Friday off. Okay, listen. And so I took Friday off of work and I was like, you know, we're going to stay in the fucking porch. We're staying in the porch. It's going to be a big deal. And the house is like all porch. The whole fucking porch is the house and it's huge. And so I was like, got to do that. So I had to scrub said porch with a deck brush and a sponge to get all the algae and shit off because we live under goddamn fucking oak <laughs> trees. And I had to do that on the banisters and the porch and the screened in porch area and the fucking side of the house. And so I did that. That was Friday's whole day. It took like seven hours. And so then yesterday we stained the deck 
the whole day. And then I made honeysuckle syrup today, dude. Fucking great, by the way. You won't believe it. Like, it tastes... Like, imagine how you would want it to taste, and it tastes like that. It's so floral and wonderful and sweet. So I did that today, but today's, like, been lighter because my wrists and my knees and my back are just... You're just swollen. I'm just... I took a mustard bath about 30 minutes ago, and I needed it. I needed it hard. (laughs) (sighs) But we're here. You can tell we're catching up because it's like we've not even mentioned yeah. that it's the fucking ninth spooky sode, which that's a lot of spooky sode. Nine fucking spooky sodes. And hopefully by the time the tenth rolls around, we're gonna have to do some kind of some kind of fucking awesome tenth episode. We should go to like the Crescent Hotel or something big for that one in our would love to do that. I've stayed at the Basin Hotel and it's fucking lit. But it's also pretty scary. Eureka Springs is cool. We could hit up with Eureka Springs. I'd be down for that. So we're here for spooky sode number nine. Nine. Nueve. It's going to be a little different. I feel um strange about it. You know what I might do? I might kick down these lights and just have my candle here just to kind of get, oh, get like in the a, mood. A ghost story. It also doesn't help that this is the room where I do see the most creepy shit happen. Oh yeah, you betcha. So I'm nice and ready for it. Mm -hmm. So normally we would be, of course, first of all, in the same room, but this is the one that we would have ventured out into the world and and gone to a location. And we were kind of on the fence about even doing a spooky sode until this is all over. And we thought, no, fuck it. You know what? People really dig the spooky sodes. What we're going to do is we're just going to throw a couple extra listener stories in Mm -hmm. and, um, And just make this kind of a nice long episode for you. Other than the listener stories, we each have brought our own topic to the table. Yeah, we have. What's your topic that you've brought to the table? And I I wanted to do another one of the old gothic mental asylums. And uh, I think those are just really frightening in the very real sense, not even the ghost sense, just the actual historical Mm -hmm. sense. So I'm talking about a biggie today. I'm talking about Trans-Algheny lunatic asylum oh you upset the dova a couple of things happened at once i got really excited there was a huge spike of emotion because i'm so excited that you're talking about that because i've been waiting (laughs) also my dog started barking and my water heater started going off at the same time so i feel like this is doomed it's just a chaos (laughs) i feel like you've upset something in my house (laughs) not that place no i grew up there um, I feel like, I don't know what that means. I'm excited about that. I've been excited about that. I know nothing about it, but I love these kind of antiquated fucking mental asylum stories because they're so awful. It's what actually I mean, happens. stories are great. Yeah, that's what makes it so scary. Yeah. It's like the ghost stories to me, like I don't even really have any. It's I don't need them. Uh, it's the real story that is so fucking terrible. It's awful. And But through that, I think a lot of energy is impacted. And I oh think a lot God. of things can come from that. So to me, when I'm somewhere where real shit's happened versus, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they say this has happened, it, it just makes a big difference. It does. I think so, too. But before we go any further, <laughs> trying to put on a spooky voice. Oh, it, it sure was. Today, was it? Was it a spooky voice? Ooh, today's episode. <laughs> uh, today's episode goes to Katrina R. 
Katrina R. Do a spooky song. Oh, okay. Hmm. Katrina R. I did the Katrina R. Katrina R. Oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Katrina R. <laughs> it's a monster mash. I know. It's great. Did, did you get it? Did you get it? it was monster I, mash? I, did you get that? <laughs> I, I so got it. It was crystal clear. <laughs> That's awful. That, the That's Monster great. Mash is my go-to spooky song. I know a lot of people go straight to I Put a Spell on You. <laughs> that would be more my vein, yeah. But for me, it's the Monster Mash. <laughs> it's a good time. I mean, it's the fucking Monster Mash. I didn't ask you what you're talking about. A little baddie. A little mystical, spooky dude. Interesting. And they call him the Gray Man. Oh, creepy. The Gray Man. Sometimes he's also called the Big Gray Man. Oh, big man. But, you know. <laughs> Which pretty, I'm sure inflates his little ego, but pretty solidly though, the gray man. That's what that's the that's the theme. The gray man. I like it. If you want me to be really official, it's big gray man of Ben McDuey. I love that. That's I love that. And it, excuse my Celtic glove there cuz that may not have been completely perfect, but that's the pronunciation I came across. Glove. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear about the awfulness and the, and the sadness. How sick is that? Oh, tell me something awful, Macy. It's awful. Get ready. Buckle up. It sucks a lot. It all sucks. <laughs> Bring me down. So let's let's talk. Let's talk the Trans Allegheny Asylum. It resides in Weston, West Virginia on Asylum Drive. Yeah, I know. I was like, whoa. Well, it originally sat on about twenty-five or 26.5 acres. It now sits on 666 acres. Are you fucking kidding? Shut your mouth. I'm not kidding. It's real. So true. So construction began on this bad boy in 1858. Even though it was completed 34 years later in 1881. I hope I did that math right. It was in my head. The hospital opened in 1864. Uh, which was only six years after construction began. So the majority of the hospital was built by essentially prison slave labor. Highly skilled stonemasons were brought in for the highly ornate decorative Gothic style stonework, as well as the special wide windows, uh, which I'll explain their purpose for in a little bit. The architect for the building was named Richard Snowden Andrews. It's the second largest hand cut stone masonry building in the, in the world. It's a huge complex. It's second only to the Kremlin. So it's just a huge, the, the main building is absolutely massive. The hospital was designed in the Kirkbride plan, which most of these hospitals at the time looked like it. It was staggered wings that essentially made like bat wings. And so it made it to where the facade mm. in the front looks really long, you know, but they're all kind of set back in a very wide V. You know what I mean? That was a really popular design at this time. And it was designed by Dr. Kirkbride. It was made to encourage maximum sunshine and airflow throughout the corridors. While his um, logic was a little bit flawed because Dr. Kirkbride was more like, well, that's because that, like, if we do that, that will cure mental illness. They just need sunshine and air and the mental illness goes away. But while his logic was a little flawed, <laughs> there was something there. <laughs> but he overestimated the help of fresh air. <laughs> I found this on the Wikipedia page for the Kirkbride design, and it really broke down like how there was like a set, almost like floor plan, even down to the staffing for these things. So I'm going to read this directly, but I thought it was really interesting history. So 
Each wing, according to the Kirkbride's original guidelines, would house a separate ward, which would contain its own comfortably furnished parlor, bathroom, clothes room, infirmary, as well as a speaking tube and dumbwaiter to allow open communication and movement of materials between floors. The furthest wings from the center complex of the building were reserved for the most excitable or most physically dangerous and volatile patients. Patient rooms were suggested to be spacious with ceilings at least 12 feet high, but only large enough or but a large enough room for a single person. The center complexes of the Kirkbride plan buildings were designed to house administration, kitchens, public and reception areas and apartments for the superintendent's family. Architectural styles of Kirkbride plan buildings varied depending on the appointed architect and range from Richardsonian Romanesque to Neo-Gothic. In addition to the intricate building design, Dr. Kirkbride advocated the importance of fertile and spacious landscapes in which the hospitals could be built, with views that, if possible, it should exhibit life in its active forms. Kirkbride also suggested the hospital be grounds to a minimum of 100 acres in size. The foliage and farmlands on the hospital grounds were sometimes maintained by patients as part of physical exercise and or therapy. Over the course of the 19th and 20th centuries, the campuses of these hospitals often evolved into sprawling, expansive grounds with numerous buildings. I thought that was interesting. The intentions for these hospitals when they were all built were great, you know, for the most part. They weren't supposed to be have more than a f- one person per room. They all seem to have that kind of same ill-fated like niceness at the beginning you know that just didn't work it it goes wrong but like you said the intention in the beginning is there like that you can tell that they at least have some bit of caring behind it like yeah like you said one person per room they should see um nature and it should be like a nice view because morale is very important and shit like that it has goodness at, at the heart of it but yeah Let's talk about why this kind of boom in this uh, kind of like movement of starting to pay attention to mental illness or the care of mentally ill people. So Dorothea Dix was a real interesting lady. She was born April 4th, 1802 and experienced a really kind of abusive childhood that essentially left her raising her two young brothers. Uh, eventually, they went to live with her grandmother and grew up there the remainder of their childhoods. But she didn't really have too much of a childhood of her own. Uh, while she wasn't like super formally educated, she was really clever. She started teaching girls very young and by the age of 14 had developed her own curriculum. She opened a boarding school in Boston in 1821, and she taught girls from like really well-to-do families at this school. Um, but she would also teach underprivileged or po- poverty-stricken young girls from her grandmother's house or barn. That's what she loved to do. Unfortunately, though, she had really poor health, um, which it seems was due in part that she also suffered from really, really severe depression. And that would impact her health and led her to have poor health from a young age. Her health caused her to have to relinquish her school, but she eventually opened a model school in Boston in 1831, but then unfortunately had to stop that as well when she had a mental breakdown that caused her to have to close the doors on that or at least transition it. I wasn't sure about which was which. To improve her health, it was suggested that she take a trip and she did so to Europe. When she was there, she met many like big social reformers. And uh, around then, her grandmother also passed away, basically leaving the sizable estate to Dorothy. So she had the comfort, you know, to live and 
and funding as well to do things that she wanted to do. In 1841, she returned to America and almost single-handedly started this whole campaign to start investigating and reforming mental institutions in the United States. So, whoa. At the time, mentally ill people were locked in basements or attics, thrown into prisons, which was killed and nobody gave a shit. Like, I mean, anything... And so there weren't any laws really to protect them. And the definition of me- mental illness was so not even a comprehended thing at that time <laughs> it, it, at all. And so her work was just like tireless and it was multinational. So get this. So she did a lot of work in the United States and eventually she had this big bill that was going to make it to where a lot of um, there would be federal funding sent to start establishing a lot of these nice facilities and things like that. And it was struck down or it was vetoed uh, after it passed. It was vetoed by the president. So she was kind of stung by that from what I read. And so she went to Scotland and basically she gets to Scotland and just immediately starts doing the same stuff. So in 1854, she investigated the conditions of mental hospitals in Scotland and found them to be in similarly poor conditions. In 1857, after years of work and opposition, reform laws were finally passed. Dix took up similar projects in Channel Islands, finally managing the building of an asylum after 13 years of agitation. Extending her work throughout Europe, Dix continued on to Rome. Once again, finding disrepair and maltreatment, Dix sought an audience with Pope Mm. Pius IX. I think I'm terrible at Roman numerals. The Pope was receptive to Dix's findings and visited the asylums himself shocked at their conditions. He thanked Dix for her work, saying in a second audience that, or saying in a second audience with her that a woman and a Protestant had crossed the seas to call his attention to the cruelly ill-treated members of his flock. So just wherever she went, she was just like really trying to reform this. So it's largely because of her that you have all of these great in size, you know, and also intentions, mental hospitals being constructed in the 19th century, kind of seemingly out of nowhere after a complete lack of interest or care mm. forever. It was a very new science. And I say that in quotations, because at that time, it was not a science at all. It's very likely that without her efforts, there wouldn't have been many of these big famous institutions, which, pay, you know, maybe is good and bad. <laughs> I'm not sure. No, it's it's good because it seems... There might be more to this story. I haven't heard the whole yeah. thing yet. But it sounds like she, that was, sounds like a really brave thing to do at this time when mental yes. illness, even a, even a quote unquote light form of mental illness, like depression or, you know, whatever you want to fuck. Not that depression's light, please don't get me wrong. You could be yeah. killed is what I'm saying. You could be put on a boat and set to sea and they're like, bye, never going to see you again. I, and the fact that she's running around all over the world doing yeah. this is crazy uh it's really sad how i know it's gonna turn out though well i know yeah how like things went after all of that so but yeah that is the thing she got the ball rolling and started a conversation nobody was happening you know humans are just such trial by error creatures and we so often learn by doing horrible things so as much as i would like to think that history could have done this some way else i just don't i don't think it, i think it went exactly how humans would have done this because humans kind of suck yeah (laughs) destined to is almost how i feel because people are just terrible let's talk about let's talk about this place let's talk about this this joint so while construction began in 1858 it was halted in 1861 because of the civil war breaking out the funds that were going to be basically seized and taken to be used for confederate war efforts 
They were actually kind of diverted before this could happen by the 7th Ohio Volunteer Infantry, who seized the money from the local bank and gave it to Wheeling. It was put towards establishment uh, of the reorganized government of Virginia, which actually sided with the northern states. So basically, the money was going to be taken for the Confederate army or uses to establish like the state government, the Confederate government of Virginia. And at the last minute, this organization took them and gave them to the reorganized government of Virginia, which was an organization that was working with the North side, the Union. The reorganized government appropriated the money to resume construction in 1660 or in 1862, so a year later. Uh, following admission of West Virginia as a U.S. state in 1863, the hospital was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. So that is what it stayed as for a very long time. So it really actually wasn't called Trans-Algheny for like long from what I could tell, like at, at all. Like it was, it has, it's had multiple names, but I think that was just the first and it wasn't even like the one that it opened with, but I could be wrong there. Trans-Algheny Lunatic Asylum, which like, that's not super PC word, you know, but like, no, it's not, but <laughs> it's, you know, but it, it sounds the most menacing out of all yeah. of them for sure. I mean, anything like yeah, it, it just, it has, it, it sounds like vampiric trans allegheny yeah yeah it sounds like transylvania and so that's always what i go to the hospital opened to the first patients in 1864 so construction was still going on when the hospital opened and uh expansions and new wings um uh, things like that like the clock tower staff lodgings a dairy farm greenhouses things like that were constantly being made and expanded because oftentimes these hospitals were tried they were self-sufficient grew their own mm. stuff and things like that this uh from what i could tell they actually had a small coal mine uh specifically for this hospital yeah oh. yeah and it went through a shit pile of water a day uh, we'll get into why that is later also, like its peers, it was originally only housed or designed to house 250 patients, 250 patients, no more. Each was supposed to have their own room, 12 foot high ceilings, big, nice windows, cushy gig. That didn't happen. 1880, the hospital had 717 patients. Uh, by 1938, 1661. And by 1949, over 1800 at its peak. There were 2,600 patients in the 1950s. And of course, there were some expansions for that, but not enough. Not nowhere near enough at what all. Was, what was the original number? 250. 250? Yes. And it went up to 2,600. 250? And it, oh my God. Yeah. So shit okay. gets terrible. Yeah. So this, of course, caused a huge recipe for nightmarish conditions. And speaking of the word recipe, Zach Bagans is quoted as calling it a recipe for trapped souls. Of course. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. <laughs> Which I haven't seen it, but they did like a live ghost hunt in the asylum. And I, I haven't watched it because you had to like pay for it. But I saw that it's there. <laughs> if you're into that. Did he find a portal? <laughs> they had to have found a portal. They're everywhere, obviously. Oh, yeah. In 1913, the name of the hospital changed to Weston State Hospital. So in rooms that were supposed to only have one patient, it often had four to five crowded together, oftentimes with little regard for the compatibility of the patients uh, put there. 
Um, so essentially you could have had someone suffering from violent, dangerous mental illness and then someone who was in there because they got caught masturbating and yeah. just all in together. All of the facilities made for the sustenance of the patients, um, such as the farm and the dairy, they simply couldn't keep up with it. Like they couldn't keep up with how many people and funding for these hospitals was super tight more often than not. So everybody was malnourished. The patients were super malnourished, which of course exacerbated exacerbated a lot of the issues with me- the mental illness that they had. Eventually, it got so bad that healthier, in quotation, patients were locked in cages in open common areas while the rooms were reserved for more dangerous patients. So they had like legitimate, people were legitimately locked like in cages. This led to many also being restrained pretty much constantly. Uh, And of course, methods to subdue patients were regularly employed, even in being shackled to the walls. Like they would shackle people to the walls, like in medieval times. People would be- Can you imagine? No, I fucking can't. (sighs) Yeah. That makes my skin crawl and it makes makes it hard to breathe. It gets so much worse, dude. I, and I had that same feeling when I was taking the notes. I, I was, my chest was super tight. Like, and it just gets, it just gets worse. The shortage of beds also meant that patients would have to sleep in eight hour shifts, but it was regardless of the time of day. So a patient would be woken up after eight hours, would essentially be shuffled out. Another would be brought in to sleep on the bed. It didn't matter if it was 2 p.m. in the day. And so you're just kind of in and out of sleep and out and just, it, just not normal at all. So here we enter Walter Freeman. Do you remember me talking about Walter Freeman in the Danvers mm. episode? The father of the ice pick lobotomy. Oh, oh this bitch. Oh, yeah. okay. He and his ice pick would pretty much roll up to these overcrowded asylums. <laughs> and his ice pick. Dude, he's a fucking psycho, man. So he'd roll up and charge the hospital a $25 flat fee to basically forever vegetize these patients in a way, or at least immensely subdue them to where they were zombies. It's alleged, it's alleged, I read, that he did 225 lobotomies in one week at the hospital in the 50s. In the 50s. Okay, the fact that... It's he lobotomized almost as many patients as the whole bitch was meant to contain. Yeah. Yeah. In in the 50s. Man, I feel like we just about knew better in the 50s. Did we know better in the 50s? No, dude. Like, uh, nah, (laughs) like at all. It was so mental illness in the I'll get to I'll get to this in a little bit. I'll I'll explain further the, the issues with the 50s. Late 40s, I believe that he did his first. Ice pick lobotomy oh. in his office on a housewife. She was depressed. Her hu- like she went in there with her husband into his office, laid down on the. She had no idea what she was getting into. Laid down on like the long leather couch thing, and he electroshocked her to subdue her, and then rammed an ice pick in her brain and ruined her life. And then he did that for over allegedly four thousand people. I, and it and it's a whole extra level of fucked up when. You hear stuff like that, knowing that you are one of the people that this no. would have happened to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's the thing. Cause I, I've thought about it. If I grew up in that era, just with my attitude and spirit and everything, I would have wound up in one of these hospitals. I would have been too unruly and some dude would have tossed me in there in a heartbeat. So I have a story here from a nurse that worked there. And this is like an experience that she had with uh, Walter Freeman. And uh, just like recounting an experience mm-hmm. that she had. And it's kind of sad, but it's just, I feel like it's important 
<laughs> to remember. So here's what she said. I was 18 years old. It was my second day of work. They asked me to take one of the male patients from the regular part of the hospital to the medical center. Dr. Walter Friedman told her to wait. He just needed a few minutes with the patient. The young nurse had no idea that the doctor was the famous, some would say infamous, lobotomist who traveled around the country using an ice pick or similar tool to damage the brains of thousands of patients. She said she did not know she was going to take that man for a lobotomy. That bothered her for the rest of her life. She brought back the perfect patient. He would feed himself, dress himself, and go to the bathroom by himself, but he would never have any emotions again. It, it, it's it's you're turned into something that has like reactionary movement. You have like muscle memory, and you have those things firing that keep you alive. But you you're a jellyfish. Exactly. You're just you're just a jellyfish. And it That's happened my like worst fucking fear. I know. And they just cranked him out, and you're con- you were conscious when it happened. More uh, yeah. patients were almost conscious the, every single time. It just sucks. It just to sucks. get an ice pick rammed into your eyeball to your brain yeah and then scrambling it around i can't even fucking put contacts in without freaking out i don't know i can't do eye drops i know can you imagine it's so fucking (laughs) stupid like i just i i can't i it really 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 (laughs) troubles me a lot to further subdue patients strong sedatives such as heroin laudanum you know opium essentially uh (laughs) were given to them, which caused a shitload of addicts as well, which is just going to cause more problems. So I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know what they were doing. There was no heat, barely any furniture, and patients would often have to sleep on like the freezing floor and it's a limestone building. So like when it's cold, it stays cold. And when it's hot, it stays hot. It's like an insulator. So when it's cold, it's freezing. The special wide windows originally made to let the fresh air in were essentially just covered with layers of grime and shit and blood and fluid, Uh, piss and uh, anything you can imagine. And uh, making it so really sunlight couldn't even enter the rooms anymore. And they weren't cleaned. like (laughs) Great. Yeah. And so the rooms were just full of filth and the windows were grimed up and it was just a nightmare. No fresh air. So, of course, patients turned on each other. This is a really fucked up story. So if you're really troubled by violent death, this is a tough one. You might want to fast forward it maybe like a minute. I don't know. Maybe two. Mm -hmm. There's a story of these two patients ganging up on a third patient in their room. And they tried to hang the patient originally. They were going to try to hang him, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull it off. So what they did instead is that they put his head on the ground and then put their bedpost on top of it and jumped on the bed until the bedpost touched the ground again. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and okay, put anybody, anybody in these situations and they're likely to turn into, I mean, we're humans. We like to pretend an we're all fucking advanced and shit, but we're animals, you know? Mm-hmm. And after being put in these fucking conditions and told, I- I'm sure that it wasn't just these conditions. I'm sure they were also being beat and fucking mm-hmm. berated by people, you know, and-, and shit like that. So like anyone could, could turn into that, you know, but then in turn, you're going to get this stigma of, oh, well, they crazy people. They're just so violent. They do this shit. And it's like, you made this. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just a, a a powder keg. And this time, even in the the 40s and 50s, when a before that, you know, too, 
uh, when a wife was surrendered by her husband, and he could do so for really whatever reason <laughs> that he wanted, she became a ward of the state. Um, she basically belonged, she was a ward of the state. She had, you know, she had no rights of her own anymore. And oftentimes, so did the children. So the children would get shipped off to this place too. And, um, awesome. there were many, many, many children, uh, at the hospital who either were born there or lived there. Um, they were also known to have been locked in born. cages. Uh, yeah, some were born there. They would be regularly locked in the cages um, people would even surrender babies at the doorstep of the hospital, like a fucking firehouse, except do it here because they're evil, uh, and put them in the care of the hospital, essentially damning the child to have to grow up there and live maybe a very short life at the hospital. Yeah, probably. There were also good old fashioned isolation rooms, which all patients absolutely feared and loathed and did not want to go. Many were placed in there for weeks at a time. Um, while these were reserved for patients being difficult, the orderlies had full authority to place any patient anywhere they wanted at any time. So sometimes the solitary rooms were just used to put people because they needed to put someone somewhere and they would just get left in the solitary room. I found a very, very interesting and very hard to read like thesis document about the treatments that went on at this hospital. Intense is a tough read, but it's very historically written and it was very fascinating. So I'm going to talk about some of the things that they would do to these patients for therapy. So this sucks, by the way. Hydrotherapy, uh, as mentioned in these hearings, was widely used in the first half of the 20th century as a treatment for the mentally disturbed. The continuous, oh, by the way, I'm reading this directly. The continuous bath involved placing a disruptive patient in a hammock suspended in a bathtub with a canvas sheet secured across the top with only the head emerging above. Patients might remain in the tub for hours or even days, sometimes with bandages around their eyes and ears, and sometimes with ice caps on their heads. Doctors believed the bath induced fatigue without hurting the mind and stimulated excretory function of the skin and kidneys. A needle shower was essentially pummeling the patient with pressurized water. The water pressure was up to 40 pounds, as cool as 50 degrees, and lasted a minute or two. This was purported to stimulate the heart and blood and was to help a depressed patient. One admission admitted, quotes, we meet with more or less opposition on the part of the patient to the administration to these baths. So yeah, people did not want them. The wet pack required dipping sheets in blankets in cold or warm water and wrapping them tightly around the patient so that they could only move their head, fingers, and toes. They would be left for hours or even a day or two. As the sheets dried, they would shrink tightly around the patient and make them retain body heat, feeling as if though they were burning or suffocating. Doctors considered the wet pack a beneficial treatment for restlessness. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. Yeah, I was just going to let it, that sink it, in. Uh, yeah, I need a minute. I need a minute for that. There, and, and there's so much to that that you don't even immediately think of. Like, if you're wrapped in a sheet for days, you're still excreting. You're, and you're and, just sitting there. And, and your body, can, I mean, okay, so like after you get a hot shower or a bath and you get that gross, like wrinkled finger problem, mm-hmm. like that, but days. When it hurts. 
Like sometimes, like when you've been yeah. in water for too long, it hurts your skin. Your yeah. skin's expanded. I love that it's called hydrotherapy and it sounds kind of lovely and nice and something that you would pay top dollar for today and then you find out what it is and you're like, nah, Yeah, fam. and it's an actual nightmare. The patients, <sighs> when unruly, were forced in cold water until they were sedate and exhausted of their energy because essentially the heat energy in their body has been completely drained away. Bloodletting was still being used at the time to cleanse victims, and of course, what? yeah, yep, still there, still the, still hanging out, man. Gotta love bloodletting; it's the OG. <laughs> so, um, of course, electroshock therapy was employed regularly, usually for many three times a week. Uh, was their session amount of electroshock therapy, and apparently, it was such a painful procedure that. Um, before they started actually sedating patients, patients were having fractured bones from the convulsions oh. of fighting the restraints and slamming against the table. There was some. Patient- I love how you say before they start restraining like, or sedating people. Like there was yeah. just a time they were like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, just shoot it right into their brains. And so there were patients that described it. And like some of the accounts, like the one that got me the most that they just like there were two and one of them said like it feels like a bomb falls on you like that's it they that's what it feels like as a bomb and then another one says it just feels like you're just burning you're burning a lot you're burning up you're just burning up and it just in a sense you you kind of are you like you you know so the public though had pretty much no awareness to these conditions and this is not due of innocence it's because they didn't fucking care these and this is where so this is where a lot of the overcrowding issues come from. And this ties in a lot to etiquette up to date. You know, when you hit the 30s through the 50s, social norms and things like that were so ingrained and such a driving force into the fabric of society that unwanted things needed to be thrown away. They didn't need to be messed with. They didn't need to be seen. I mean, just uh, even, I mean, even in the 50s into the early 60s, if not later, talking to a psychiatrist meant you were a fucking loon. You know, that's what people would say. And so it's just like people did not want to talk about the embarrassing people in their lives or they didn't want to talk about these, you know, they they wanted to just throw them away. And so then you start Mm -hmm. getting this massive boom into checking people into these mental facilities and the list of what is deemed a reason for admission starts growing at a rate that is just insane. (laughs) Even people who suffered from nothing more than asthma, if you had asthma, fucking... What is the, what's the actual reasoning? Like, what can you even say about, how can you tie that into a mental... mm? I don't know. So most alarmingly, this continued until... This hospital was still going, and a lot of this shit, this bad shit, was still going on the early 90s. Jesus. Yeah. So let me tell you about this. This was written, and this was published by the Charleston Gazette in 1992. So let me tell you something. Oh, wait, no. I'll, I'll go to that later, because that fucked me up. So this was published in 1992 by the Charleston Gazette, and this is their second expose that she wrote about the that they wrote about the hospital so i'll get to the first in a second how long ago that was so they were notifying the public in this kind of expose article of the horrifying conditions that were there at the hospital remember 1992 so a patient named george edward Bodie 
died after a fight with another patient named David Michael Mason. Uh, so that, you know, patients were fighting and killing each other. Furthermore, a patient named Brian Scott B committed suicide and his body, which had begun to badly decompose, was not even found for over a week in the hospital. What really sucks is that the first expose piece that the Charleston Gazette post or published was in 1949. So they were talking about this shit in 1949 and not enough change to where they wrote another one in 1990 fucking two. You're just sitting around watching Cheers and you don't know what's fucking going on. Well, and that's funny that you say that. So here's here's some things to kind of drive home how late this was going on. This co- it, it closed in 1994. The same year Friends was airing and the same year that The Lion King came out. This was still going on and people were still getting horribly treated in some of these hospitals. And, and apparently dying and not being found for- Not even being week. found. Yeah. So, in 2007, after the hospital sat abandoned in deterioration for over a decade, it was bought in an auction by a local businessman named Joe Jordan. Um, It is now open to the public. Uh, They still own it, and they do tours and things like that. Um, Their tours range from, like, a heritage, purely historical tour that you can take in the day to overnight ghost hunting tours um, and investigations Mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, apparently uh, raising money through the tours of wanted to restore the hospital and they've restored the entryway and certain parts of it already to like its original state. Um, they reverted the title back to trans Allegheny lunatic asylum, which has gotten a little bit of backlash because it's like, it's not super PC. And they say it's because it was the original name, you know, yeah. you can go with that how you will. Yeah. I get it. It's they, a uh, nod to its historical roots, but it's also not super chill. <laughs> It's also like, y'all kind of picked that too, because it sounds scary. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah, true. It's like Weston or whatever the name was, State Hospital compared to Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Yeah, if you're selling ghost tours, I know which one you're picking. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, they do run heritage tours in the day, which are strictly history-based and go over the history of the people involved, operations, things like that. Of course, the nitty-gritty of the bad shit that happened. Um, from what I've read, it's a very respectful tour to past inhabitants and things like that. Much like Danvers, the ghost stories really kind of fucking pale in comparison to what actually happened there. So I don't really even have any, any that it's, you know, over the 130 years of its operations. Um, well, there are some characters in the hospital, you know, now still like a little girl named Lily. The spirits don't just yield the same freak factor to me, but I have a list, an actual old fucking list of what people were um, admitted for. And I wanted to read some for oh, you Lord. because they were crazy. If you would have been admitted based on what you're about to say, take a drink. Oh my God, dude. Wait, just wait. Just fucking wait. Indigestion. <laughs> Why are you going to fucking start with that? <laughs> Loss of arm. <laughs> I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm laughing at the ridiculousness. Bad company. Bad <laughs> of a rattlesnake. <laughs> Business nerves. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Deranged masturbation. Wait, hold on. How does that differ from regular? Okay. Doubt about his mother's ancestors. I don't. 
What does that mean? No, I'm serious with this one. Someone please tell me what, what does that mean, Macy? Fighting fire. The fuck? Fits like a firefighter? I don't know. I know. I read that. I was like, what? Fits and desertion of husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Jealousy and religion. That's one actual entry reason. <laughs> I don't understand. Minstrel deranged. That's a fun one. Overaction of the mind. My uh, personal favorite, parents were cousins. <laughs> that happened, man. Sometimes that happened. You know? Shooting of daughter. What the fuck? Yeah, there you go. Carbonic acid gas. <laughs> <laughs> Farty butt. What could you do? What could you, what kind of life could you live that wouldn't end you up in this place? What in the hell? Well, let me tell you, not a life of exposure and quackery. Me. (laughs) Gathering in the head is a reason. And so let me explain this. This is from a poster and this was the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum Reasons for Admission, 1864 to 1889. So these are just Actual admission reasons. And one of them, super honest, dude, masturbation for 30 years. Okay, way to give yourself up like that, first of all. (laughs) 30 years of sin. You don't understand. I've been doing this for 30 years. I gotta get myself in the hospital. So that's that for you. I'm done now. Now, I'm, I'm trying to draw the line between what of those reasons was something that we know today by a different name, like gathering in the head or an overactive mind that could be extreme anxiety. I guess you could call it that, but some of those you can't even misconstrue like the loss of an arm. Yeah. What? Okay. Sure. Well, Macy, thanks for that. I'm going to be shook for the rest of the week. There you go. All right, so we're in our second day of recording. We've split this up because, like we said, we wanted to make this kind of a nice, juicy, long one for you. And you know what? A good point that you made earlier was that our demeanor might completely change because we hope to edit this to where Macy has her story, and then we'll come in with the story that I'm about to tell you. We've never recorded this way before to where I did mine, but you didn't do yours, and then we did some other piece. So it'll be like a little quilt when it's all done. And I'm interested about that. It, it'll all be patched together. It'll be patched. <laughs> well, mine wasn't completely, if I'm being honest, <laughs> my topic wasn't completely finished because I wanted to make sure that I got these stories and the timeline correct. It's 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 a short topic and it's kind of light. Uh, you know, sometimes we cover things that are uh, what I like to call true paranormal stories, such as our own experiences and of course the experiences from the listener sometimes we cover like macy did earlier her story very real terrors and very real human-like scariness or like the the planet x theory kind of big and like oh that might be actually very real and scary but sometimes we have these campfire stories and that's what i've Mm -hmm. got today and i think it's going to fit in quite nice after your very heavy topic to come along and be like there's a scottish bigfoot yeah man i'm ready dude can we talk about how shiny my motherfucking bun is (laughs) it looks like one of those really dark chocolate donuts Mm, yeah with the waxy fake chocolate oh my god oh yes I feel like I'm making, I love it so much, I'm almost making sounds of disgust because it's just like, ah. That's when you know something's good, is when it's Mm -hmm. so good that you make a noise that somebody thinks that you might be in pain. 
It's guttural. At the- <gasps> oh, yeah. It's the one. The fucking waxy chocolate coats your mouth with who knows what sort of chemicals. Oh, some kind of hostess magic that they put oh. in those little tiny fuckers. I also love the white powdered ones, but only, oh. stipulation, only if I microwave them for like what? 10 seconds before I eat them. Never done. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Try it. It's great. That's microwave to mini. Charlie, try it's it. Great. It's great. I love that. <laughs> Get one. <laughs> I'll fuck with the cinnamon ones too. I like the little dusted cinnamon ones as well. Mm-hmm. Those are tits. Now that we've lightened the mood after mm. your horrifically real story, let's pretty jump in. pretty shitty. Yeah, let's light our campfires. I got a tale for you. I want to make one thing clear. One thing clear. One thing I believe wholeheartedly in Bigfoot. So I'm just ready for this. And you're not going to have to mm-hmm. do any convincing with mm-hmm. me because I already totally, <laughs> without a doubt in my mind, believe he's real. So I just wanted to get that out there. I knew I knew you would be excited for today's uh, as an avid Sam Squanch fan. This is some Scottish folklore in which they, they refer to him as the Bigfoot of Scotland or the Sasquatch of Scotland. Similar but different. So let's jump into it. He is called the Grey Man. Mm. Or in Gaelic, and excuse my pronunciation, I have Amphir Lamour. And I'm saying it like French, but that's because my poor little Texas tongue can't see L-E and not say le. But whatever. For the purpose of this story, (laughs) for the purpose of this story, I'm going to be saying the Grey Man or the Big Grey Man of Ben McDewey. So the Grey Man is an entity that haunts the passes of the Cairngorms highest peak, known as Ben McDewey. This is an area that many believe to be on what's known as a ley line. How great. Which are lines that crisscross around the globe in a latitude and longitude type way, and they carry with them rivers of supernatural entity. Supernatural energy. I'm just I'm already in the a entity river of entities. Just, oh, just going by this river. Just oh, a r- river of Sam Squanches. Just oh. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's like a ghost thrown in for good measure. <laughs> God, that's stupid. I love it. Okay. So the gray man... <laughs> is sometimes referred to as the Bigfoot or Sasquatch of Scotland. The Grey Man is a human-like creature that towers over 10 feet tall. Oh, he's big Fully man. covered. He's a big boy. He's mm-hmm. fully covered in gray short hair with very long limbs. We're talking arms as well as legs. And he has very broad, strong shoulders. So he's like a, he's a brick, he's a shit brick house. He's a mountain man. With Noodle arms. John A. Rainey once published photos of the prints that were left behind by the gray man. And he says the prints were running across a stretch of snow-covered land. Each print was about 19 inches long by 14 inches wide. But there must have been all of seven feet between each stride. So each footfall is seven foot away from the next footfall. That's a lot. There was no difference between... That's a, that's a lot. That's a full person. But think of it. If he's over 10 feet tall, I mean, he is 
big. Oh, he's he's twice my height. Yeah, he's huge. So, and, and apparently, according to these photos, there's no difference between a left and a right foot, which is interesting. It's just kind of like a like a Flintstones square foot, I guess, that's just been stamped into the snow. There's no arch or anything like that. It's just a flat there's, foot. There's no like, arch. Okay. There's no, yeah, it's no obvious big toe. There's no obvious okay. like a slope to the toes. Mm-hmm. Other encounters of the of the gray man are unseen, but highly felt. He brings with him feelings of profound anxiety and apprehension. In 1948, a climber named Richard, uh, Richard Fury, I believe, said that when he encountered the gray man, uh, a presence utterly abstract but intensely real is what he experienced on the mountain. And it had with it, it carried with it an intensely high singing note. Oh, isn't that interesting? Interesting. I know. So some believe the creature to be a living organic being while others regard it as something, something like a ghost, a non-tangible interdimensional fucking being. Yeah, man, that's (sighs) the Bigfoot I know and love. And I mean, okay, what are your feelings on these different, because a lot of the times we hear, like in the big thicket in Texas, we have the Texas Sasquatch, and then here in Scotland, they've got the Gray Man or the Scottish Bigfoot or whatever they're calling it. What are your feelings on these different versions of Bigfoot? Do you think they're all versions of the same thing or, or what? So it depends on how you want to look at it. So like if you're going from the biological standpoint as if Bigfoot is a species, like he's an actual thing, I believe mm-hmm. they're just different like breeds that have evolved a little bit differently to fit their natural geographies. Right. That's kind of what I feel like. Like a snow leopard versus like a a regular leopard. Yeah. Or like a Tibetan Mastiff versus like, you know, like a, a, and I know that that's selective breeding, but you get the idea, Mm -hmm. like different Mm -hmm. kinds of animals, you know, or just like how you have different breeds of tigers in different parts of the world, shit like that. It's like, I feel like that's kind of like what is going on there. But in regards to mm-hmm. like, if he is an interdimensional being, that complicates things. Because that's what I see. Now, that's actually what I believe. I, I lean more towards it. And so here's the thing, because like, I feel like from like the people who believe in that are usually pretty deep in Bigfoot lore. And so it's like, it takes a while to get down deep enough to where it makes the most sense. And that's the thing, because like, they talk about it a lot on Mysterious Universe, and they cover like Bigfoot a lot. And pretty much they're kind of in the same boat. It's like, no, nah, he's like interdimensional. He is not on our plane. That's why he can slip away. That's why he's never been photographed. And he can manipulate shit just like, you know, flying mm-hmm. saucers can, drain batteries, manipulate cameras, things like that. Same shit. He's always spotted with UFOs all the fucking time. Mm. And so it's just like, when you get it all, and like, there's a lot of sightings of like Bigfoot with these big balls of light that he are around him or are manipulated or chasing him even. So, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't know. I I go more towards it because in a lot of weird ways, it's like, you make the most sense, but it complicates explaining why there's different varieties for me, because it's like, I guess it's like, there's a whole species of them fucking shit up on earth, but they're coming interdimensionally. And that's a little weird. And that I can't figure out why that would be. But maybe they check in. Maybe that's their fucking, they, they work here and that's their district and they have to go man that area. They're like the district area managers that's, of that's, Earth. That's what, I, <laughs> they're the assistants to the regional manager. The that's regional kind manager. of where I am. I think that, <laughs> I think that if they're, um, 
if they are in fact interdimensional and they haven't evolved to be different, that maybe that's like a cloaking device or yeah. something. Maybe the reason this one is gray is because he needs to like blend into the, the snowy area and the gray sky and the ones out in the Pacific Northwest, they they look more just like these mountain dwelling yeah. beings. Who knows? We don't fucking know. But I can tell you all of the encounters that deal with the gray man of Scotland uh, are also accompanied by the sound of footsteps. So just like Lil Wayne, you hear him before you see him. There it is. Direct accounts now. The first one is from a man named James Hogg. He was a poet and he's among the first to actually record their experience with the gray man. Now there had been murmurings and there's been verbal folklore, but he was the first to put pen to paper and describe his experience. And in, uh, I'm sorry, 1791, he described what he saw as at least 30 feet high and equally proportioned and very near to me. I was actually struck with powerless astonishment and terror. So now keep in mind, he was a poet. So when he wrote this, he may have flourished a 10 foot mm-hmm. to a 30 foot. zhuzhed it up a little beating. bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It made it a little bit more scary. Uh, however, that was the first documentation. But the next one, and perhaps the most famous, is from Norman Colley. Colley was an authority. Listen to this. This guy's got credentials. Normally you could wipe these guys away as loonies. This guy's got credentials. He was an authority in chemistry at the University College London. Fellow of the Royal Society and the Royal Geographical Society as well. Member of the 1921 Mount Everest Committee and once the president of the Alpine Club. He was also the dude responsible for the first ever medical x-ray photograph. Highly respected. Wow. Exactly. He had a run-in with the gray man in 1891. So that's, what did I say the first one? Yeah, so that's actually 100 years later to the year. He says, I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. For every few steps I took, I heard a crunch and then another crunch as if someone were walking behind me. (laughs) But taking steps three or four times the length of my own, I said to myself, this is all nonsense. I listened and heard it again, but could see nothing in the mist. As I walked on, the eerie crunch, crunch, crunch sound followed behind me. I was seized with terror, and I took to my heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles. Whatever you make of it, that's a long time. Whatever you make of it, I do not know. But there is something very queer about the top of Ben McDewey, and I will not go back there myself again. This I know. That kind of there's that kind of fits. There's like a fun theory that like you know living out there in the woods, you know, and they are master survivors and whatnot, but they get fucking bored and they just love mm. to fuck with humans. And like us being scared is comical to them. Can you imagine <laughs> the laugh that thing was having behind him, watching this dude stumble in rocks for five miles? It was stumble, just like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's like a professor of chemistry, and he's this established fucking dude, sci- like legitimate scientist. And I can just see him out there in like a tweed jacket and fucking glasses, and Bigfoot's like this fucking nerd. 
Bigfoot's a bully. He is. Bigfoot's like a swirly given fucking bully. <laughs> I love that. I love that theory. That sums everything up so so well. <clears throat> All right. So let's move on to 1904. A man. Uh, unnamed, from what I, I've seen, Amanda and his brother came across the gray man. When they descended from the mountain down into the surrounding village, they described their experience to a, uh, a local inn's bartender. And they said they heard what they described as slurring footsteps, as if someone was walking through water-saturated gravel. Hmm. To which the bartender gave a simple, "Oh yeah, that would have been the uh, that would have been the Amphir Lamore you heard." I like it. I like it when so, it's just assumed. He, yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, that was the gray man. We, we know of him," and and that makes sense because if they're living here at this town that's very close to this uh, this mountain where he's known to reside, they've probably heard all kinds of stories. So he's like, "Oh yeah, that's fucking what you heard. It's just there. It's fact." So our last and our most recent from what I could find, documentation of the gray man happened in 1943. A mountaineer named Alexander Tewinen wrote in Scott's Magazine his uh, his experience with the gray man. <laughs> For some reason, the simplicity of that name, Scott's I Magazine, it. it's kind it. of funny. He wrote, I spent a 10-day leave climbing alone in the Cairngorms, just as I reached the summit of Ben McDewey, mist swirled across the nearest mountain. The atmosphere became dark and oppressive. A fierce, bitter wind whisked along the boulders, and an odd sound echoed through the mist. A loud footstep, it seemed. Then another, and another. A strange shape loomed up, receded, and then came charging at me. Without hesitation, I whipped out the revolver. I know. Without, it's like it thought about it. It saw him and then it was like, oh shit, and ducked away. And he's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to charge this dude and just start this bolting for him. So guy says, I whipped out the revolver and fired three times at the figure. When it still came on, I turned and haired down the path, reaching the town in a time that I have never bettered. So the quickest he's ever run in his life. Mm -hmm. You may Mm -hmm. ask, was it really the gray man? Frankly... I think it was. Oh, so a mountaineer, well. experienced mountaineer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, he says without doubt that Frankly, is the man. I think it was. Frankly, I think it was. <laughs> so, if you plan on spending time anywhere near the passes of the Cairngorms, keep your ears sharp and your eyes peeled for the big gray man of Ben McDewey. He sounds, and I'm really building up, I'm building up this jock character because he's also short haired and most of them are long. So I'm picturing like a crew cut style. He's like a crew cut high and tight Sasquatch with gray hair. And he's just a bully. He's just kind of jacked for some reason. He's got a buzz cut. He's just got a stank ass attitude. (laughs) Stank ass. So that is the Scottish Sam Squanch. I loved it. Uh, He, a Sasquatch... Can get it. Can he? I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Macy, after those spooky stories, how you feeling mentally? Feeling like I could talk to somebody. <laughs> is the fact that this isn't explained and there are mysteries and spookiness in the world, is that interfering with your happiness? 
You know, it very well, you know what, listen to me, it very well might interfere with my happiness. And you know what, you know what I could do about that? I could seek better help. Better help will assist your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can spill out all of your conspiracy theories <laughs> to trained professional ears. And you can do so, thankfully, in a super safe, super private online environment that's super convenient. You can do it from your own couch and get started in less than 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, nor is it self-help. It's professional counseling. If you need, you can send a message to your counselor anytime. They also, uh, I know you've tried it, I've not yet, have a chat feature. So you can really have a nice back and forth online conversation mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable with that. And you'll get some timely and thoughtful responses. Uh, plus, you can do video uh, actual sessions if you want. Uh, I love the chat feature. I did that and my counselor sent me some worksheets to work through. So I got homework to do. Oh, I cool. absolutely love it. Homework. Homework in therapy is much funner than the homework I used to get. <laughs> uh, and I can do... <laughs> I can do all of this without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, especially now when, uh, unless you absolutely have to, you shouldn't be sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room. And so while you really, really get on with your counselor, if you don't, uh, BetterHelp makes it really easy to switch. Uh, you can pretty much do it really simply and there's you just get matched with somebody new. It's not a big deal. They want you to be comfortable so you can switch anytime to find a new counselor that's right for you. Don't be shy about it. I myself has have uh, changed counselors when I needed to. This is also more affordable than your traditional offline go to a therapist office, sit, wait, be uncomfortable, not know them type situation. Uh, and it's available worldwide worldwide. So let's uh let's do that thing we do and let's talk about all the different ways that BetterHelp can oh. help you. They can help you with depression, stress, anxiety, relationship problems, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, and more. And more. With that delay, it's never going to happen. Delay is... Yeah. <laughs> Everything that you do share is totally and completely private and <laughs> confidential. It's convenient, professional, and affordable. And if you don't believe it from us, uh, they put testimonials up daily on their website. And that website is betterhelp.com. And that is help as in H-E-L-P. Be one of over 800,000 people really stepping up, taking charge of their mental health. If you want 10% off of your first month, go to betterhelp.com. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash witch. That is betterhelp.com slash witch, W-I-T-C-H, to get 10% off of your first month today. Macy, I think it's about yeah. that time. Mm. I think we should... uh circle the wagons here light the light the campfire mm. i feel like i'm leading up to a uh, beautiful review footage story it but i'm not i'm like saying <laughs> i did oh man i should have saved that circle the wagons thing that felt nice i think it's time for some listener stories if you would like your story to be read on the wbah spooky time hour uh, you can always send those stories to wbahpodcast at gmail.com and don't forget to put spooky somewhere in the title. Our first episode comes to us from River. Oh. In September of 2011, a friend of mine that had been living out of the state for the past 12 years 
returned to New York. We made an agreement that he could stay with me and help with the bills until he found other housing. It was not a smooth transition. (laughs) He arrived on September 19th, (laughs) and almost immediately it felt as if the atmosphere in my home had changed. Mm. He and his helpers, they spent most of the evening unloading the truck, talking about events of the trip, etc., ended up taking on a supernatural turn, and my friend Jack informed me that my driveway was unsettling. I don't like that sentence. I said it was most likely <laughs> I said it was most likely because he'd be li- he'd been living in a large city for the past 12 years and perhaps being in the country would take getting used to. Oh, okay, so I'm imagining kind mm-hmm. of a, a long mm-hmm. driveway here. They told me about some strange and disturbing occurrences that happened on their trip. I just sort of brushed it off as being overactive imaginations. However, I admit to having an uneasy feeling that I could not place. The next 10 months proved to be a strange combination of things happening randomly in my house. The driveway began creeping me out. Ew. (laughs) I felt like something was watching me. As the moon waned, it felt like whatever it was was coming closer. Each night I worked, I dreaded getting out of my car. Jack reported hearing someone or something call his name on several occasions. He thought it was me, though I was never home for these instances. I was in the house by myself one afternoon, and I thought I heard the front door open and footsteps Mm -hmm. on the kitchen floor. I assumed Jack was home, as he's a very large, tall man, and his footfalls were normally clear. When I called out, he did not answer, and after a few moments, he didn't appear. So I went to see if he needed help with anything, only to find an empty kitchen and my front door ajar. And a me-shaped hole in the wall. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Another time, I woke in the middle of the night. I laid there, not sure what had woken me. That's the scariest, dude. When you wake Mm -hmm. up in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and you're like, I know something woke me up. When there was suddenly a very loud crash, like all of the pans had fallen out of the cupboard. My first thought was, damn cats. (laughs) Then there was another noise, like loud footsteps running down the hallway. It freaked me out because the only other person in the house was Jack. And he could not physically move that quickly. (laughs) The footsteps went up and down the hallway before finally stopping as suddenly as it had started. This happened more than once a week, according to Jack, although there was only the one instance that I was awake for. Jack also felt very uncomfortable about the hallway outside of his room. Sometimes the hallway gave me the creeps too, but Jack could not sleep without the lights on. So rather than turning on a hallway light, I hung fairy lights to chase away the shadows and placed dream catchers in his room to hopefully ease the bad dreams that he had reported. The dream catchers and the lights seemed to do the trick, and eventually he told me that he felt as if there were some sort of creature in the hallway that smelled of wet dog or some other wild thing, and that it had growled at him. The night he told me that, I noticed the smell, and strangely, I think I might have even heard a growl. I chalked up my experiences to him telling me what had happened. The strangest part of all of this is perhaps the very day he moved out of my house. The atmosphere changed. It seemed to grow brighter. That night when I returned home from work, even though it was dark, I felt no fear standing in my driveway. It felt as if someone was watching me, but the fear was gone. 
It didn't scare me the way it had for the past 10 months. While he lived with me, two other odd things had happened. My favorite pentacle went missing, and I lost my Kindle Paperwhite. Now that might seem unrelated, but I found the Kindle months later between pieces of folded clothing, like someone had hid it for safekeeping. The pentacle made a return appearance the day after he moved out. I cleaned, reset my wards, apologized for messing up the balance in my home, and then it appeared on the freshly cleaned countertop. I haven't had anything happen since. Who? So what's the consensus? Do you think he Sounds was like carrying an around an energy or do you think mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. something was with him? Ooh, ooh, I hate that. That sucks. <laughs> but it's weird. I wonder if he experienced any stuff like that before he moved into the house. I don't know. Maybe he woke something up and then it left with him. Then just went on hanging out with him. That sucks. I like this guy, Jack. I'm going to leave with <laughs> you're, him. Bye. You're nice. I'll make you smell like wet dog. <laughs> One wet dog, please. (laughs) So this uh, next story was sent in by Brooke. A couple of weeks ago, I was at work alone, so I took it as a perfect opportunity to listen to something spooky and witchy. So I obviously turned on one of your Spooky Zone episodes. I believe it was the third. (laughs) I was happily listening away, getting myself thoroughly creeped out, and started thinking about how my mother has always had experiences with flickering lights in all of the houses that she has lived in. And how at one point, we got confirmation from a psychic that it was my great-grandmother's spirit flickering the lights to say hi. I shit you not, as soon as those thoughts crossed my mind, all of the power in the building went off and immediately turned back on. The only response I could muster was a huge, nope, and I ran out of the building as fast as I could. <laughs> I've worked here for a while and have never had that happen before. There was no explanation for it. I later told my boss about what happened, and he told me that his wife actually believes the building is haunted because she used to hear weird noises in the back all the time. Great. Cool. I also told my mom about what happened and her immediate was response. Her immediate response was, don't be scared. It was just grandma. So I guess shout out to my great grandma. Thanks for scaring the piss out of me. I know you're floating around here laughing your ass off. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the story of me being a big chicken. Have a lovely day, witchy friends. That's so Short sweet. sweet. I, I think mm-hmm. even though it's scary in the moment, it's sort of like he's still fucking with people after you pass. Yeah, off. you know, that's really sweet. Our next story comes from Leslie P. My story is a little bit more sleep paralysis and a lot less God. actual ghosts. Well, here we go, because sleep paralysis is actually one of my biggest fears. It's mm-hmm. so scary. Almost five years ago, I had my first and only child, Tyler. The first few months were exhausting. I went back to work almost immediately and worked the night shift. Coming home at four or five in the morning, then spending all day with my son. One night I started having dreams that something evil was coming after my son. I never saw what it was, but I knew that it wanted to take my son. Mm. Night after night, I would have the same dream, an evil presence in the basement. And of course, I would have to go down because I knew my son was down there. Mm. The dream always stopped as I went down the stairs. After a couple of months, I started having sleep paralysis. I would sleep on the couch, catch a few hours of sleep before Tyler would get up again to feed, and then I would wake up, in quotes, paralyzed. I've heard that being exhausted makes it worse. Like, it makes you have it more if you're really worn down and exhausted. Yeah, because your brain is like, no, we're going to keep sleeping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I would wake up paralyzed and look to the office door that was connected to the living room straight across from me. The ugliest old hag you could ever imagine started crawling towards me. No. Every night, (laughs) every night she would get closer and closer to me. I know you're going to say I'm crazy. No, I'm no. But I figured, <laughs> I figured this. Ha- oh, she says it right here. I figured this kept happening because I was so exhausted. Mm-hmm. So I shrugged it off. My husband kept telling me to sage. Now, at this time, I didn't know what saging was. I grew up in a very religious Mormon family. My husband, on the other hand, was raised by Wiccans. I really didn't believe that it would help. So I ignored him. A few nights later, I woke up to my husband screaming, question mark, with his mouth closed. He was having sleep paralysis. That is what validation about sleep paralysis. Because, yeah, first of all, somebody else is having it. Also, the fact that all you can muster, you you can feel like you're screaming, but all you can muster Mm -hmm. is this like mm, kind of noise. And that is so scary. I shook him awake and he told me he saw a shadow of a boy in a hood. The shadow crossed the doorway, stopped halfway, turned to look at my husband, and then entered a portal. That was all it took. The next morning, I found myself in a, in a metaphysical shop for the very first time. The ladies were very helpful, giving me a sage bundle with some dragon's blood. They also gave me some black tor- uh, tourmaline to set around the house. After using both, we have not had any issues My son, who will be five soon, occasionally will walk out of his room and tell me that he heard me call him, even though I didn't. Mm. And other times he will tell me about a shadow he sees at night. They aren't scary, he says, but I always cleanse and put up a protection spell for him. Sorry for the novel, but I hope you girls got a good story out of this. (laughs) Help uh, keep up the great work and stay witchies. Jeez. You know, and if he's not being scared by it and... If it's nothing malicious, it sounds like it might just be something, you know, normal. Maybe this is just a highly active house. Maybe. And you got the bad shit out, but now there's still a little something there. There's but, little uh, duders. I, I think kids are a good, they're good to measure that kind of thing. Because if they're mm. not scared, it's like, I don't know. Okay. That's probably it. You know, I don't know. This next one was sent in by Malin. I'm from a small town in Ohio called Canal Fulton. Canal Fulton is already known for its hauntings, as our little town was the site of many deaths during the construction of the Ohio Erie Canal. From haunted restaurants to the resident dark void, most people who've grown up here have had some encounter with the supernatural. When I was growing up, I lived just outside of downtown Canal Fulton in a house that was newly constructed when we bought it, so there shouldn't have been any previous energy or anything like that. Well, I have four sisters, so the youngest of my three oldest being nine years older than me. The older three, being fearless and bored as teenagers are, had brought out a Ouija board for a few times during my childhood, giving me an intense fear of them. I had experiences early on in that house as I shared a room with my little sister in the basement. In the basement, you walked down the stairs into our bedroom, you walked to the back, and there was a door to the laundry room, and a little further back was the entrance to this all-cement room that had no windows. You know, not even the little half-basement windows. Well, that's where my parents slept at the time. One time after my fifth or sixth birthday, I invited one of my friends over to play uh, with some new toys I got, which I which consisted of one of those mats you draw on, but you fill the pen with water and it only colors the mat and a tea set. I remember leaving 
uh, her in our living room when we went to go fill them both up in the bathroom and not feeling uneasy at all. So I get there and all of a sudden terror racks through me because the water is still running, but the door is slammed shut and locked and the lights have been flipped off. My little kid self was screaming on the other side of the door, trying to explain what was happening. And my older sisters ran over with a butter knife to try to unlock the door. And the way that the lock was shaped, it was commonly, it was a commonly used tool, but it wouldn't budge. I was in there for probably about three minutes. And although it felt much longer sitting in this, the only way I can describe an oppressive energy, then all of a sudden the lights turned back on and the door swung open. Later that day, I remember Marie and I decided we wanted to have a tea party in my pop-up princess castle that was in the basement, but we were both spooked, so we thought we'd bring it upstairs. So we go down and grab it, and everything seems normal, and then all of a sudden, uh, the side Maria is carrying feels heavy, so she let it go. I asked her what was wrong, or if I should trade her sides, but I got no response. So I set my side down to go Mm. check on her, only she wasn't there. So my little kid self, not entirely grasping that if she would have moved, I should have seen her, calls out to her. I finish, I finish hearing her name. I finish yelling her name and I hear footsteps going up the stairs. I followed out thinking she was just trying to creep me out, but she wasn't up there either. I went back to the basement and found her dazed and confused in my parents' room, the darkest room of the house. I'd asked her if she'd gone upstairs at all and she said no. And she remembered, and all she remembered was holding the castle and then being in that room. I have lots more scary stories, both at that house and the one I live in now, but as this has already been long, or, but this has already gone on long. I love your guys' podcast and not just, and not just the spooky sounds. You've helped me learn so much in a fun way, and I can't wait to keep learning from you. Thank you both very much. Oh, thank you so much. And send the stories in because houses, okay, I need to know, we do not have basements here. Mm-hmm. where we live. Mm-hmm. So the room that you're describing, that's all, uh, would you say cement, but with no windows, is that akin to like a root cellar? Maybe? Is that a common thing to have in your house? Because if not, that is spooky as shit. Yeah, that there's like a normal basement and then like a secondary stoned up room. That's weird. A room inside of another room is never good. It's weird, that's, you know? There's there's stuff happening there. Speak to tomfoolery to me. Mm. Alright, here's A story from Alyssa. I'm from Arkansas and majoring in hospitality lodging management for the past two summers. I have interned for the 1886 Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Listen, all signs point to us going to the Crescent Hotel for our our 10th spooky suit. Come on. Wow. I mean, it's the 10th. Big 10, you know? I mean, shit. Double digits. Big 10. Mm. Gotta do it right. Also, Mm. Eureka Springs is lit. So, the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. This hotel is known as America's Most Haunted Hotel. In my two years, I worked for the Crescent and, oh, and the Basin Park Hotel. We also talked about that. Cool. Uh, it's Beer. the one that I've, I've stayed in, which was super fucking haunted. It's something about that area. It's something mm. about the hills. I don't know what it is. No, you're, you're so correct. It's something about that area. Something. This is kind of the history of the hotel and some stories from not only myself, but other employees of the hotel. The Crescent Hotel was built in 1886 as Arkansas's first luxury hotel for people traveling on the railroad. The hotel was built for, oh my gosh, was built for $294,000. In today's dollars, that's $7,300,000 and almost $400,000. 
All Quite right. a bit of money. I didn't know this. The building is built in limestone. It's also survived two fires and multiple changes of hand. The tragedy begins. One of the stone maces working on the hotel's construction was named Michael and was trying to get the attention of a young woman below the hotel. I guess he was up on a... On a yeah, mm-hmm. he fell from the top floor and landed, impaling himself on the scaffolding of the second level. Room 218 is now known as Michael's room. And he commonly shows up when women stay inside the room. Dude, it didn't work a- out for you then. It's not going to work out for you now. Like, come on. <laughs> You're not going to... He's still trying to get somebody's attention. Come on. <laughs> there is... Oh my gosh. There's a sculpture of him in the lobby of the hotel, as well as next to the concierge desk. The Crescent continued as a hotel. However, when tourism in Arkansas lulled in the winter, the building would be left empty. So in 1908, it became Crescent Conservancy. Thanks, Macy. For well-to-do young ladies. The school was extremely strict about interactions between the ladies and young men of the town. So they kept them separate at all costs. Of course, as any young adult would, the girls figured out how to sneak out. Yep, sneak out of the building at night and peruse the town. (laughs) The girls would hide under the sheets. They were using the laundry system. They would hide under the sheets and the towels (laughs) and lower themselves down to the ground outside before fleeing into the night. That's amazing. Everything went well until one young lady died. Whoa, that was sobering. Wow. Falling from the top... Jesus. Falling from the top floor, of which there are four, she fell from the balcony to the ground below. Stories are scattered on the reasons of why she fell. Some say she killed herself because she was pregnant out of wedlock. Some say she was killed by the father of the child because he was a teacher. Whoa. Uh. Another story is that she killed herself because she fell in love with one of the boys from the town who was poor. And another less entertaining story is that she simply fell. <laughs> oh, well, you know. She is... Re- <laughs> That's what happens. No, I want some fanfare with my spooky stories, okay? <laughs> she is referred to as the girl in the mist. A figure seen on the fourth floor balcony before falling and disappearing before it hits the ground. The story was kept quiet because these were wealthier young women from upstanding mm-hmm. families. So what really happened has been lost to time. I'm going to say that teacher pregnancy one. That's the one. I, that one hit. It was the most like, uh, probably uh. to me, other than falling, you know. Even after losing one of their students, the college continued until 1934. For the next three years, it remained a seasonal resort. In 1937, a man named Dr. Now, Dr. here is in quotes. Dr. Norman Baker bought the hotel and turned it into his cancer hospital. (laughs) Baker was a dumbass who believed that good thought and sunshine could cure cancer. He's like an asshole. He fled to Arkansas after he got kicked out of his home state for basically Mm -hmm. conning people out of their money because he said he could cure cancer. He was a snake oil salesman, a grifter, and a psychopath. People would come to the hospital in hopes of being cured, just preying on people's hopes, I guess. Mm -hmm. They would come in the hopes of being cured because he said that he had the cure. He went by doctor, even though he had no formal schooling and the treatments of his patients. Oh, no. 
The treatment of his patient was but to inject them with Dr. Baker's recipe for the cure. You ready for that recipe? Ground watermelon seed, brown corn silk, red clover, glycerin, water, peppermint, and carbolic acid. Now, That's all you need. the treatment regimen was to be injected with the cure seven times a day while sitting in the sun. Nurses would wheel patients onto the balcony and hook them up to an IV to sit in the sun. Spoiler alert. This cure did nothing for the patients. Oh, no. so and many, many perished under Norman, under Norman Baker playing doctor. There's an area of the hotel which is currently referred to as the Annex because it was not part of the original 1886 structure. Dr. Baker placed patients who were less than agreeable to their treatment uh, and who were more outspoken. Ooh, so he just like locked away the, the patients who were like, I don't know if this works. The naysayers. He always naysaying. Uh, <laughs> you sit in your tower. He called it the asylum. Oh, my God. And the patients who were contained there were cared for less, had less outside privilege, or they had their outside privileges revoked and were left alone in poorer conditions than the other people. So basically, if you were admitted here, you were just, you were like, I know I have to shake my head and agree to everything or else I'm going to be put in the asylum. Great. What is now the annex is four jacuzzi suites. <laughs> that seems so, that seems a little disrespectful. I know. That jarred so me a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I thought it would be like, it's now the ballroom or the restaurant. It's fucking jacuzzi suites. Two of which overlook the pool area. Creepy things are said to happen in this area. Voices are heard and sounds at night. Doctor. <laughs> the writer of this keeps putting doctor in quotes and it's cracking me up. Dr. Baker's desk originally was the shape of an octagon with seven pieces, each that he dedicated to the, his seven, oh my God, to his seven businesses, the eighth being the entrance to the desk. His office is now, okay, so he's, oh no. His office is now a small art gallery inside of the lobby. However, during the Baker era, he had bulletproof glass and handguns hanging below the desk and open walls in case anyone came in looking for him. So he's paranoid. He knew he was... I wonder why he, uh, yeah, wonder why he needed to have all that. Maybe if you're going to see a doctor, don't see one who feels like they need to drive around in bulletproof glass and have basically be strapped with gats all day long. The desk is now the concierge desk. Oh, cool. So it's actually still the desk there. That's badass. Thanks to Baker. That's so cool. We have something. Thanks to Baker. We have something that many hotel don't. A morgue. Bitch. Patients who passed were wheeled down to the morgue in the basement and disposed of at night. Mm. He -hmm. wanted to make people think that he was truly healing people. Oh, I've heard about this. Oh, so he's the one that would be like, yep, all good. And yeah, no, he didn't want anyone to know that anyone was dying. And he didn't want any of the other guests to know that anyone was dying. Yeah. So he had to like keep up this weird fucking ruse while people were dying right and left because he was basically just not doing dick all for um his twisted fucker he was making a lot of money i'm sure mm-hmm. anyway jesus just but he wanted to make people think that he was 
truly healing people. So he would, for- yeah, here it is. He would forge letters to family members and requested more money mm-hmm. from their mm-hmm. families without telling them that their loved one had already passed away. Among the patients, there is, oh God. Among the patients, there is the ghost of a woman in white who is said to be a nurse. She can be seen on the second and third floors, presumably wheeling around patients. Guests have claimed to hear the rattling of wheels outside of their doors. Miss Theodora is another spirit confined to the property during the Baker era. However, it is unclear why she was there. Room 419 is known as Theodora's room, and there have been reports of coins being left on a dresser with the guest coming back to see them stacked up on top of each other neatly. Oh, strange. We'll have to do that. We need to get room 419 and leave some coins out. And if other people, if they throw their things carelessly around the room, it is said that they will come back and they will have been tidied up. One couple, that's nice. That's the spirit I want in the house. That's great. One couple reported checking in and fighting while they were unpacking in the room. They leave the room to have dinner. And when they return, all of their things had been packed up, (laughs) packed back up in their luggage and their things were sitting next to the door. So she was like, fuck, y'all get out of here. So see, this is why when people are like, I'm afraid of ghosts. I'm like, this one cleans up and tells negative people to leave. (laughs) Like She's all right. There are two children in the hotel, both children of nurses. The young boy, Brecky Thompson, who was a sick child and died at the hotel at the age of four, can be heard saying, it's not fair, referring to being kept inside. I know that's sad. Referring to being kept inside and not allowed to do much. And when speaking to women, he mistakes. Oh, when he speaks to women, he will mistake them for his mother. The little girl was a daughter of an unknown nurse who fell from the top floor to the ground level and can be seen near the staircase on the fourth floor or standing next to your bed. Why, though? You know, like... Also, did this fourth floor not have railings? Because a lot of people seem to be falling. It's getting a lot of folks, you know? (laughs) Maybe put up like a sign, tell people to beware. Baker was charged in 1940 for fraud for mail fraud that's what he was charged with great okay and he went to jail in 1941 to only serve three out of his four year sentence after this he bought a yacht and traveled to the gulf great the hotel sat empty for six years from 1940 to 1946 until four men decided to purchase it and make it happy again the hotel changes hands a bunch of different oh the hotel then changes hands a bunch of times until 1997 when the Ronicks purchased the property it has stayed with Elise and the late Marty Ronick until today and Elise lives inside of one of the penthouses inside the hotel ooh cool i wonder if we can speak with Elise do you She'd think she's be, tired of people asking ghost almost questions? certainly but she would be cool to talk to <laughs> Now Alyssa's going to move on to some personal stories. So, this one's called Bellman. Part of the Bellman's job is to check the rooms at night that are not rented and turn off the heating and air conditioning, turn off the lights, do everything you need to do to conserve energy. This Bellman was turning down Theodora's room. He walked from the door to turn out the bathroom lights and the bedside lamp. He nods to the photo of Theodora. Very classy move. I like Mm -hmm. that. He nods to the photo of Theodora on the wall and closes a cabinet door under her picture. 
Before he leaves, he hears a creak and then looks back to see the door open. He closes the door and leaves. I ain't fucking with that. (laughs) This one's from, I guess, um, this is who they are from. So I guess that one was from the bellman. Now here's one from the head chef. On his first day as an executive chef, he comes in early to prepare the kitchen for breakfast and is the first one there in the kitchen slash the crystal dining room. I've been to that crystal dining room. It's so pretty. He lays his knives out in the kitchen, leaves, and when he comes back, he finds that all of the knives are missing. He then walks the kitchen, the refrigerator, and goes back to the front desk to see what's going on, figuring that somebody has been messing with him, you know, like he's the new guy, ha ha. The security guard at the front desk goes back with him into the kitchen where all of his knives are back with the largest sticking straight up on the cutting board. The chef asks if they can watch. (laughs) I know. The chef does, he does a very smart thing. And he says, can I, can I look at the video cameras, the security footage, which a lot of the times people don't ever do. So I'm excited to see where this goes. On film, they watch the chef lay out his his knives, and then he leaves. Moments later, he says that the knife just disappears in thin air. They watch the chef come back, leave, and before he arrives with the security guard, they watch the knife appear in midair, fall, and stick into the cutting board. The that chef has also confirmed, up. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That's aggressive, is what that mm. is fucking with knives this chef has also confirmed to be this chef is also confirmed seeing someone to his right when he's standing at the range cooking he said that he saw this when he was still pretty new he was bsing with his co-workers and they all described the same guy with a beard checkered pants and a black hat okay so he saw this guy and it sounds like that maybe he's like the sous chef or somebody yeah, who was working sounds, in the kitchen yeah. maybe he's just there supervising man he's yeah just with that cooking wardrobe he was just like razzing the new cook you know with the knives and shit. yeah he's look he's like talking to the other girls he's like i'm gonna scare the shit out of this new guy lots of reports happen in the kitchen and in the morgue the morgue i see but the kitchen that's very interesting so hospitality professor this story is from the hospitality professor this professor has uh, great relations with the general manager and has stayed here multiple times one time she stayed in an annex jacuzzi suite you know the asylum third floor facing the pool with her daughter this professor awoke in the middle of the night to go to a girl trying to wake her up and calling her mom she wakes up and turns to her daughter, waking her up to, you know, like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? What's going on? That kind of stuff. Her daughter was in a dead-ass sleep. One of the other interns this summer, her sister, stayed in the same room in mid-July and reported the same thing without being told the first story. Something I think is interesting is that both women are blondes with fair skin, although there is quite an age gap. Me, personally, last summer when I was the one working the front desk, wait, no, I watched my water bottle fall from the counter before the front door opens, lets the cat in, and closes behind him. So somebody just, like, knocked the shit out of your water bottle and then, like, let the cat in. (laughs) Wow. The last part doesn't sound too crazy, but the doors require you to press down. Ooh, the door requires you to press down with your thumb, and it's a big, heavy-ass door. The wind does not budge this door. Lots of people leave Ouija boards there instead of 
instead of taking them. So I always feel uncomfortable when I'm near the lost and found and often in the morgue. If I go down there myself, it gets hard for me to breathe and I get short of breath. This past spring, while breaking ground on property to construct the new Frisco's Sporting Club, named after the railroad, apparently, the grounds crew discovered a... Ooh, the ground crew discovered specimen jars from Dr. Norman Baker. Pieces of tumors and body parts. Ugh. When he had that he had removed from people and then placed yeah. formaldehyde, some of the bottles had been removed and were placed in glass cases in the morgue for the ghost tour, and the rest have been left in the ground with a case around it for historical preservation. Eh! Old photo film was found as well, but it was sent off to University of Arkansas to be developed and has yet to be finished. One noticeable jar, one noticeable jar that they did not put on display. Ooh is the penis of a man that was removed and preserved. I wonder why. I wonder why. Orbs are... He probably called him a quack, and he was like, oh, okay, come in for your surgery. It's going to be a total normal, not penis-removing surgery. And yeah. Orbs are commonly seen throughout the hotel, and there are lots of photos. The hotel was on Ghost Adventures this past June. Oh, and there's a link. There's a link to it. Okay, we'll put this link in the show notes so you guys can go watch. And it was on Taps some years ago. I remember watching that episode of Taps on the Crescent Hotel. I remember that clear as day. It's I even I have a shirt actually. I'll post a picture of it. I have a shirt from the Crescent Hotel of that heat map signature that they got, and it says "I was not alone at the Crescent Hotel." And it's the dude in the cap, and he's leaning out looking at you. Mm-hmm. Spooky. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, Sorry. So in the summer of 2017, a man fell down the stairs from roughly the third floor and died. That was in 2017. There was a wedding going on and it consisted of a lot of medical professionals, which was helpful. And then it says, sorry if this was a lot, but I thought you guys would enjoy. I enjoyed that immensely. Very interesting. I I don't want to make... I don't want to make no promise promises, but like maybe Spooky Soda Sand could have a little bit of Crescent action going on. That's <laughs> so cool. Oh, I dread it. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I want to stay in that room where the little girl messes with blonde haired women. Fuck you. Yeah, sure. You do that. It'll shake she me up. Want... I'll be like, she won't want shit want. to do with me. She'll just, I'll just be a brunette. I'll be the, I'll just be a child. She'll think I'm another child. I'll put like a gown on and sleep. <laughs> All right. So this next one was sent in by Kendall R. Uh, and so here they said, I can relate to your ghost episode story about seeing a reflection of yourself or a doppelganger. I guess, I wonder if that was the, uh, the phone call episode. To where he saw himself in the car in the what was the name of the oh the, oh I remember Gary that one. Busey phone calls what was Gary Sudbrink Gary Busey yes Gary Busey that's what it was I I immediately thought of that story we told on maybe the first spooky sode where I was at your house and I saw like a younker version oh of you oh I house. think that's you're where right. my I brain think that's went right okay I think that actually makes more sense so here we go Gary Busey. so here we go i came home one day in high school wearing a red shirt and set my backpack down and saw my mom in the living room she asked me if i was going somewhere and i said no i just got home from school 
I had a club meeting or something that happened after school, so it was probably 4.30. She said, no, that's impossible. You came home around 3.30 wearing a blue shirt. And I said, are you sure? Were you dreaming? (laughs) She said, no, I remember it clearly. I spoke with you for several minutes, and then you went upstairs to your room. No, leaving. Burn the house down. (laughs) And you had been up there ever since. So that's creepy from the mom's perspective, because who was she in the house Uh, with? And she had no clue. And is it still up there? I don't know. Why did Doppelgate, why does this thing happen? Why do they do these seemingly benign things like talk to your mom for a minute and then like drive up next to you and make funny faces? Why do they do this? I don't know. I don't know. And I tell her, nah, must have been deja vu or just a memory of the past. I literally just got home and she was beginning to freak out. She says, Kendall, I know you. You're my daughter. I saw you earlier and it was you. She was definitely weirded out for a while with that interaction. My room was definitely the creepy room because it was directly above my parents' bedroom. And my parents often said they would hear my drawers opening and closing um, or hear someone pacing around the room while I was at school. I hate it. But even after I left for college. So even when she wasn't there, they still heard that shit. Great. Yeah. <laughs> she also said she would hear me talking on the phone in my room with the door closed, but she would go in and no one was in there even after I had left for college. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Why are they smart enough to replicate your voice, but they're not smart enough to be like, that bitch doesn't live here anymore? And why do Ew. they want to? Ew. I hate it. We were the first family to live in that home, but I think we must have brought something home or the property came with some energy. Oh, thanks for sharing your story. And I completely believe you and glad someone else experienced that level of creepiness. So it must have been the one when you saw me through the glass door. Okay, good. Because I feel crazy. So I'm, I'm very, I feel good about that. That's spooky. Ugh. All right, I'm going to move into our next spooky story. This is from Jinx. My husband and I moved to the East Coast being newlyweds from the deep swamps of Louisiana. Oh, yeah. The big state of Virginia was another set of new territory for us. We signed our lease papers on the uh, on an apartment, and on our move up, our fur child was sitting between us and the U-Haul. We were excited to start our lives together, and also slowly coming out of the broom closet, we knew to be cautious and to not call on or dabble in things that were beyond what we could handle. We moved in and there were problems with the apartment. However, that wasn't the issue. About a month went by and we couldn't figure out why we were creeped out to turn the lights off in our kitchen. So we were practical and installed a nightlight that only seemed to worsen it when we were Oh, gross. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading ahead. It only seemed to worsen it. We started to see a shadow move. Sometimes I thought it was my husband. Other times he thought it was me. Neither of us felt relaxed. And as soon <laughs> and soon an argument began. Bad argument. It was yelling and it was not like us. Around November, his adoptive family came up to visit us, bringing with them their three-year-old godchild. Whose adoptive, adoptive family? Oh, her, her husband's. Her okay, husband's, okay. yeah. The speed, the shadow, the bear. I was like, what? The bear? Around November, his adoptive parents came up, bringing with them the three-year-old godchild. His adoptive mom noticed we were off and drained. I had even tried uh, smoke cleansing the apartment before they got there and nothing worked. 
She pulled us into our bedroom and straight up asked us <laughs> what was in the apartment. Okay, so she knows some shit. Nice. So we come out to her uh, about our separate practices and that we didn't know what was there. She saw my stones on the dresser. Holding a hand over the stones, feeling them, she picked up a rose quartz that I had gotten from my grandmother. She told me that it felt tainted and noticed that my husband had something attached to him. Months before my husband and I left, we tried helping his aunt remove a bad energy from her home that was brought on by her husband's ex-wife, who openly practices to cause harm, even when people had not harmed her. The ex-wife hated my husband because of her oldest son. Uh, he had looked up to him as a role model. Whatever this woman sent out after my husband had latched on to my rose quartz and gained power over us, knowing that it was our fear. So my husband's mom told us to sit there and focus on the energy that, that was intruding. I could feel the energy take on a form of a woman, but she was all wrong. Thinking about it, I hate when people are described as wrong. Thinking about it kind of creeps me out. I remember at night her standing at the doorway. She could never enter the bedroom. I had a protection amulet from a friend on the doorknob. The energy was wrong, though, and its intent was worse. And my husband lost his shit because he could see her, I guess the, the spirit. Mm -hmm. Her mistake was looking at our three-year-old godchild, who at the time, we didn't know had a very natural ability to shield. He charged out of the room and stood over her the whole time. I just somehow knew that she couldn't touch our godchild. That's cool. She kept saying, I'm thinking of like Bella from Twilight, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> I kept saying that she can't hurt her. His mother stayed by me. She told me since I had more control, I needed to help trap the energy in the corner. And the next day we'd go to a store and get some things to get it out of the house. <laughs> the next, <laughs> just put it in the corner. We'll deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> the next morning, feeling semi-drained, I got dressed for work, walked out of our bedroom, and I could still feel it hum from the corner where I wanted it to stay. Our godchild bounced up much like kids do early in the morning, and she came over to me. I hugged her, gave her a kiss, and told her auntie was going to go to work, and she should go back to sleep with her grandmother, and that I would see her later in the day. I went to work thinking about that thing in my apartment. Once work was over, I met up with a family at a cozy little witch shop. Mom picked up two clear quartz stones for us and held them while in the store, not letting go of them. We grabbed a few more things and went back to the apartment. She kept the stones on her, which I know now that she was programming them to protect and rid the apartment of bad energy. She walked to a tree my husband and I liked. It was very connected and its energy was calming. Then she then walked a few yards forward and stopped. And she said the energy was wrong here. My husband didn't pick up on it, but I did. Worst of all, it was right under our bedroom window. We walked up the stairs to the third floor where we resided. She placed the quartz on the window seal in our bedroom. Then I don't remember what she lit, but she told me to push it all of the way out of the window. So she okay. put a crystal there and then she did some smoke cleansing. Okay. Um, okay. We got rid of the energy. I cleansed my rose quartz and then recharged it. I was alone one evening and I noticed some, someone was sitting by the nightlight and it was just getting dark. I only saw it a few times. I couldn't help whatever this presence was, even though I did try. It was sad and felt lost. I don't know why, but I only saw it those few times and then it was gone. As for the bad energy, it seems to be totally gone. We have since then moved into a new apartment, thank God. And uh, I've, <laughs> I came in, cleansed the place before we moved all of our belongings in. 
We burnt other herbs and incense to fill the place. We don't argue anymore and we're much more relaxed. I've there since then turned the sunroom. I've since then turned the sunroom into a room to practice our craft and to put our crystals on the window seals and keep things out of the room and just keep it as a, a finely tuned place to relax. Nice. That is interesting how sometimes those things make you argumentative with somebody. Mm-hmm. They feed that off seems, of it. Yeah. It seems to, to like amp up those emotions and you're already freaked out. And then you One, fight. especially if that thing was sent for that reason, you mm. know, if that's what that thing oh, was sent yeah. for. I kind of forgot about that aspect of it. Yeah. If it was sent by somebody who was maliciously trying to do something like Wanting that. Wanting to put a wedge in, you yeah. know. I like how basically that person sent that thing and they were like, nope, no thank you. And they were like powerful enough to turn it away and just be like, leave. (laughs) So this next story was sent in by Deanna. When I was nine years old, my mom moved my little brother and I into a three bedroom home just outside of my grandparents' neighborhood. To set the scene, the house had an old addition to it. A huge one-bed, one-bath apartment that connected to the house's living room and dining room. The addition caught on fire years previously, but it still wasn't fully cleaned up yet when we moved in. I sometimes wonder if if that was a missed red flag. The kitchen had a floor-to-ceiling swing door, those saloon-style doors that would push in and out. It was super fun as a kid to play with and just an interesting attention-grabbing feature to the house overall. One day, my grandparents invited us over to their house for dinner, so I wanted to get dressed up and do my nails. I had a small spice rack that I kept my nail stuff in, so I grabbed it and sat on the floor by my bed. When I finished my nails, I closed the nail polish remover, put the spice rack back on my desk across the room, and scooped up my little brother's toys off the floor. He left about five or so of his two-inch action figures scattered across my room (laughs) again. In retaliation, I opened his bedroom door and tossed them into the dark, hearing them thump as they hit the carpet in various spots. We went to dinner and came back a few hours later. I walked straight to my room to get ready for bed. When I turned the light on, I noticed that the spice rack was by my bed again. Confused, I walked closer, and then I noticed the nail polish remover was out and open on my bed next to it. There was a round, wet spot on my bed, presumably nail polish remover, and my little brother's toys, the ones I'd carelessly thrown in his room, were now standing up on my bed in a circle around the spill. <laughs> so something's like, nah, dude, don't throw this shit. <laughs> you don't do that. I ran from my room, terrified. I came down the hall into the living room and saw my mom standing in the swinging door that led to the kitchen. She was crying and trying to remove the door from its hinges. I was really concerned about that and still shocked by what just happened in my room. I asked what was wrong, but she kept telling me just to go to my room and get ready for bed. I was too scared to go back to my room, so I opted to sit on the couch next to my brother. Once my mom finally got the door off of its hinges, I noticed something at the bottom of the door that definitely wasn't there before we left the house that evening. What appeared to be letters were carved into the wood. I struggled to read them at first because they were rough, sloppy, and crooked. The first letter, S, started near the bottom of the door, and the letters rose a little higher as they continued on. The last letter was N about knee length up the door. They were pretty large letters, so they all varied slightly in size, and the name Stephen had been etched across the bottom of the door. Oh, no. (laughs) 
Uh, it okay. looked as if a child took a crayon to no. to write their Ew! No! That's bad. I hate it. My mom took the door out into the backyard and stuck it in the huge old shed. That shed was full of random old and spooky things like pictures and watches from the family that lived on the property a long time ago. But that's a whole other story. Oh, sorry. A whole nother story. Oh. That. My mom drug her mattress into the living room that night. and We all slept on the floor and couch together. Mm-hmm. We did that mm-hmm. often. After lots more activity in the house, including my mom's room being completely covered with ladybugs from floor to ceiling randomly one night, we moved out before the year lease was up. We recent or more recently, about six years ago, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina for college. It's said to be, yep, one of the most haunted cities in the country, but it was only uh, it was the only liberal arts public college in the state, so I had to take my chances. That's not where SCAD is, is it? Isn't SCAD like a big deal? Um, I ended up in notoriously in a notoriously haunted dorm my first year. Uh, Barry Residence Hall was said to be an old orphanage that caught fire in the 1800s early, uh, taking the lives of some of the children. Many oh. people claim to have heard children screaming, singing, laughing in the halls throughout the years, me being one of those people. Ooh. I also heard what sounded like marbles rolling across the floors at night, something I later found out was commonly shared as an experience as well. About a year later, I worked on the top floor of an old historic building downtown. One of Charleston's most famous restaurants was homed on the first floor of the building. I worked in a reservations office answering phones and often worked from 5 to 10.30 p.m. completely alone in a dimly lit office. I had the light from three windows, my desk lamp, and the dim and often burned out overheads. The bathroom was a long, dark hallway that had multiple doors on each side of it. The bathroom itself had one fluorescent light that had a habit of blinking on and off. The Mm. elevator would often come up to the third floor, would open, sit, and then would close and go back down. I hate that. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. She ended it and said, I don't know how I lasted so long at that job. (laughs) Oh, that's it. I hate that. I hate that elevator thing. I do too. So I want to believe that the Steven thing was like a kid just playing with toys and maybe just like, oh. I'm going to put all my toys in a circle around this nail polish bottle and just being a kid, like writing its name on the door. I want to believe that. But the way that looks to the living is terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's like, mm, too far, bud. This is from Kate N. A little backstory. These stories were passed down from my great grandma and possibly from my two times great grandparents. Hmm. My mother was the one who told these to me and my sister. The name of the couple in the first stories is not known, nor the exact year, but I know it is back when horses were still used in farm work. The first story goes like this. A man and his wife moved into a cabin. The husband would leave and go to work while the wife stayed home and cooked and cleaned. She started to hear a baby cry. She would look everywhere around the cabin, but not find it. When her husband arrived home for supper, she told him about what she had heard, and he helped her look for the crying baby, but could not find where the sound was coming from. This went on for a couple of weeks, and they never found a baby. But one night, they decided to take down the boards that were above the doorway, and they found what was, oh, no. I don't like that. I know. I feel like I know where this is going. They found... What they found was the skeleton of a little baby girl with her dress and a bonnet. You could see the little blonde curls peeking from underneath the bonnet. 
The couple did give the baby a proper burial. And after they buried her, they did not hear her cry anymore. (sighs) From what we gathered, the poor babe died during the winter sometime when her parents could not bury her. And the family left or moved away and she was forgotten. I assume... I assume that this happened close down to where I grew up in central Missouri. My mom told me there was a small cabin down the road from us that is no longer there, but was around when my two times grandparents were still farming. I have to imagine that that's back in the days when death was a lot more common. It it was what it was, you know? And it was like, well, we can't bury her because there's the ground's hard and it's frozen in the snow. So we'll put her here. And then maybe they left and they're like, ah, story number two. This one involves my great-grandpa, his brothers, and his father. My great-grandpa and his brothers and dad were coming back from the little town of Stickney on their mules and horses. It was almost dark. They heard another horse coming up behind them at a fast gait, but did not trot or gallop. Keep in mind that gravel roads were not yet wide enough uh, for cars. Mm. They decided to pull their horses and mules off to the side of the road and let the rider pass. The rider came riding by on a tall horse, and the rider was headless. Excellent. At this point, I would assume that they were shocked and freaked out. Yeah. The rider didn't seem to notice them as he rode by. They continued to ride on home and met one of their friends on the road. They asked if the friend had seen or passed anyone on a tall horse. The friend replied that he had seen no one on the road since he left his house. Again, these were passed down, and I wish I could talk to my great-grandma about these, just because I love old history, especially if it's dealing with my family. These probably sound cheesy, but again, I hope everyone can enjoy them. Much love, my fellow witches. Please keep on keeping on. I, I don't think they're cheesy. A. Not love, cheesy. We love a good chi here on the WBH Oh, yeah, that was, if anything, that was just a great campfire story. Exactly. I I, I buy it. I fucking believe it. The first thing that came to my head, though, was, you know, in Spice World, when they have that dream, and she's, you didn't have an aid. You didn't have an aid. (laughs) And that's that's where my brain immediately went, was, I just didn't have an aid. To that old animated version of the the Headless Horseman. Oh, yeah. You remember that one? The animated one? Yeah. It's like the really gangly Ichabod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ichabod Crane. I forgot that was his name. (laughs) Ooh, boy. That one was uh, sad, followed up by a a nice fun one. A literal wild ride. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, This last one was sent in by Nita M. Can you hear those birds squeaking? I hear... (laughs) They like the stories. We moved into our house when I was almost four. It was my grandma, my mom, and I. We always joked about being a triangle of power, and since I lost them last year, I'm going to be getting the Triketra representing the maiden mother and crone for me and my amigas. Anyway. That's nice. I like that. The adults were moving boxes and furniture into the house, so my grandma and I had a picnic in the living room, uh-huh. uh, in the living room floor where she could give direction. She was very good at that, and I could be out of the way. <laughs> As we were having our ham and mustard on white bread sandwiches, delicious, we both watched a very tiny, maybe four foot eight lady come down the steps from upstairs. She had dark skin, a white, or light-colored nightgown, and her hair was in a very long braid down her back. She looked at us, we looked at her, and then she walked through the living room into the dining room and disappeared. My grandma looked at me and said, you saw her too. 
<laughs> and it seems she's just being curious. We went back to our ham and mustard. We had gotten the house into, or we had gotten the house in a very neglected and rundown part of town, but the former owner, Mrs. Jones, loved her house and took care of it when she was able. She passed away in the house that she loved. She and my grandma would argue over where things went in the house. <laughs> I love that. For years, my grandma wanted a giant ashtray on one end of the buffet and a lamp at the opposite end, but Mrs. Jones preferred it the other way, so she would switch it with a lamp. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, she's no, she's not having it. My grandma had power, but she closed her eyes to a lot of things where it was concerned. Mm. Mrs. Jones would always turn on the bathroom light for me at night. And I know it was her because by the time I would get to the bottom of the stairs, the light would come on. That's mm. cute. Mm -hmm. uh, we also had a complete bastard that was in our basement. <laughs> this prick would get right up on you where all the hair on your head would stand up, goosebumps Ooh. and breathing. He would also open the dryer door so nothing got finished or open Asshole. the lid of the water. That's what a fucking dick. So passive aggressive. <laughs> oh my God. What an asshole. I hated our basement. My grandmother also, and this was documented by a paranormal team, manifested oh. as the, a poltergeist is what they said it was. That mm -hmm. does sound like poltergeist activity. Mm -hmm. It was mostly upstairs uh, and would touch, pinch, and at one point punched my grandma. Oh my God. Fucking cock. And beat on my uncle. Great. Do that. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, we invited University of Michigan Paranormal Psychology Department into our home. I was about 10. I remember the medium. She was a very nice person and uh, decided she would make contact. She no more than sat down at the dining room table and then passed out. Wham, hit the floor cold. Ooh. My grandma looked at the camera guy and the other one was organizing all of his equipment and said, you should probably just take her home. <laughs> <laughs> I love that grandma. She sounded amazing. That's great. That's it. That's that's, oh that's all of them. Oh man, I love that. That was a really little sweet one to end on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like except that. except for homeboy who was the trying to basement beat bastard. On people and yeah, mm -hmm. also punch grandma. <laughs> I know it started off very light. It was like it would poke and pinch and punch my grandmother. It's, you don't punch grandma. Come on, you don't now. ever. Oh, man, we had some iconic stories today. There were some good ones. I feel like we got some, we have some some quotable stories that we're we, sticking with. Grandma Punch and Ghost is going to last a little oh while. Oh, my God. So, thus concludes our ninth Spooky Sode. Mm -hmm. Spooky Sode from quarantine. Spooky Sode in spooky times. There it is. Very true. <laughs> And as spooky as these stories were, nothing's as spooky as what's going on in the world. Mace, yeah. what can you do if you want your spooky story read on an upcoming spooky sode? Will it be that the, the upcoming 10th episode, which no promises, but maybe totally is going to happen in the fucking present? <laughs> <right now? laughs> if you want to have your story allegedly read at the Crescent Hotel... You can uh, make that happen at W. You could send an email. You could open up your laptop and you can no! email. Oh, I'm not going to okay. do it to you two episodes in a row. I just can't. <laughs> you can write your story down and send it to WBAHpodcast.com. Mm. No, WBAHpodcast at gmail.com. Close. And, yeah, you know. 
and uh, put the word spooky in the title. And it might just get read at that time that we maybe go to the Crescent Hotel in 10 weeks. Maybe. No promises, but definitely. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And when we're at that spooky hotel, I definitely... Listen, I got a story about the Crescent Hotel that I want to tell. It's not... It's not spooky, but I think are you it's gonna say, Are you going to tell it now or are you going to wait? I'm going to tell it now because it's, it's not spooky at all. Okay. It's just funny and it's kind of brief. God, I guess this was like six or seven years ago now. We went on a family, a family vacation to Eureka Springs. It was me, my mom, my dad, and my, at the time, boyfriend, now husband, Clarky Malarkey. We stayed at the, be- uh, the Basin Hotel? What is it? The Basin Park? I forget the actual name of it, but we stayed at the Basin Hotel, which is also very old, lots of history to it, haunted, yada, yada. But my parents wanted to show me the Crescent Hotel where they bought said t-shirt from and they had stayed in a couple of years before. So we went to the Crescent Hotel. We went to the bar and we had a mimosa and we walked around and we took pictures and I have a ton of pictures from the Crescent Hotel, which I remember just being a mix between lush and Victorian and spooky as hell. Right. Um, so I can't wait to see it when we definitely, maybe, no promises, but for sure go. And uh, we went to the, the Crystal Ballroom and it was completely empty. And I don't know if they were getting it ready for uh, a wedding or a service or lunch or whatever, but they had a big table out with uh, <laughs> forks and knives and plates and stuff. And my dad walked over, plucked up a fork, looked at it and stuck it in his pocket. Good God. Fucking Cousin Eddie. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't think, you know, we can get in trouble for that. But allegedly, this is, you know, allegedly, I'll say that. Um <laughs> That's but while while we're there, we're definitely going to have to attend that cute little um, bar that they have that overlooks things and they play jazzy music. I think somebody Great. there is there and they play the piano and they have these really delicious and interesting drinks. Like they had the mimosa that was delicious, but we also had this other one. And it's so cool because they bring out all their tools. They splay them out for you. And they're craftsmen at this bar. They bring it out. They open it up. They pour into the glass a hot piping drink of review footage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was well done. It was there. I liked it. (laughs) Today's review comes from Eve and Sage. Worth five stars. Thank you very much. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) I am too. Even Sage says, Came back for more. Love the podcast, ladies. Keep being amazing. Blessings from Eve and Sage. Thank you very much. Eve and Sage. Eve and Sage. <laughs> that brightened up my day. Speaking of brightening up my day, if you want to advertise with the WBH podcast, where can one do that? You can hop on. I smell food. You can hop Ooh. on over at WBAH podcast Gmail. Nope. You can. <laughs> the food has scrambled my brains. I smell it. <laughs> if you want to advertise with us, you can do so at advertisecast.com forward slash the witch bitch amateur hour. 
Send us an email. It doesn't have to be spooky sodes, but if you got a spooky story, send it to our email address at wbahpodcast at gmail.com. If it is a spooky sode, put spooky somewhere in the title. If it's not a spooky sode, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Where could one keep up with our, the creepiest of all creepies, Mr. Jim from Insta Jim? But the sweetest of all creepies. But the sweetest, non-intentionally creepy. He's a good boy. What do you think it ha- what do you think it looks like when Jim tells a spooky story? Like if he wanted to corral you around his fireplace, which is just like a can with like an ember in it, mm-hmm. and it just kind of smokes the house up, there's no real fire. And he wanted to regale you with with spooky stories. What would his spooky story look like? Well, I think Jim, if I have to be- I think Jim might have a bit of an issue with controlling the tone of his voice. I feel like he, he doesn't have, (laughs) I feel like he's not very good at that. So I feel like listening to a scary story by him might be a little strange because certain parts will be really quiet and calm. Mm. And then maybe he just starts yelling his story at you (laughs) over his fire. And and it uh, is, it's indeed scary because it's just a jump scare more than anything. But it's never when it should be. So it, like, it could be an absolute setup. The setup of when you think it's like, you know, it's like he could be setting up and it's like he's not even to the scary part. And then he just switches to loud and you don't know what's oh, coming. Shit. Yeah. So I feel like it would be a bit of a, uh, it'd be a bit of a, a, a testy thing to hear a, a scary story by, by Mr. Jim. A jarring experience. Mm-hmm. If you want that jarring experience, visit our Instagram at... Which bitch amateur hour? We have a Twitter where we retweet. Twitter at... Say it like Jim. Oh, okay. I feel like that's what you'd get. Jesus. Come eat with us over on Facebook at which amateur hour. No bitch on Facebook. Ever. We have a Papa Patreon where you can sussa support your girls in the Papa podcast. Uh, uh, I'll find a better bit for that. www.patreon.com slash WBH podcast. What's up with Miss? What's up with that PO box, Miss Saw's box? You know, she's still. I, she's coming around. I. Uh, there's starting to be letters addressed to her specifically, and I think that's helping her. I che- I went to the post office, and there was a letter in there today to the sauce box. Hold on, wait. Are you serious? Like it was to us, but it was addressed to. No, I mean, but are you the serious? Sauce box. Is yes. this a bit? You know, I had heard a rumor that she was starting to do some little good deeds for people here. And there. I think so. I think so, so. Maybe that's what it is. Her confidence is getting. She's getting her groove back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm happy. I know. I was happy for her. <sighs> hmm. I haven't felt that for her in a very long time. I know. It feels good. If you would like to help raise her spirits a little bit, but not but not too much, you can do mm-hmm. that by sending a letter to P.O. Box 865, Canton, Texas, 75103. That's it. Wow. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Of the spooky quarantine hour. Mm, May it never happen again. May this never exist (laughs) twice. All right, Mace, where can they catch us next time for our 10th spooky zone? You can probably maybe catch us at the Crescent Hotel in Arkansas, possibly, perhaps. 
I, I smell food in my nostrils and I need Ever it. since you said you smelt food, I was like, oh, food's a thing. What if I smelled food right now? Fuck. I could totally smell some food. See, I can't make a podcast without you. Come back from the shitter.